0: I'm Jacob Granger, and you're listening to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. This week, we're talking about citizen journalism, and we'll be looking at how one US-based community organisation turned to 50 local readers to investigate the new landlords on their doorstep. Don't go anywhere.
1: If people can understand the news and become part of it in some way, then they will value it. Um, they'll value it monetarily, they'll value it emotionally, they'll value it intellectually. You know, we're living in a time in our lives where things are you know, increasingly digital, and we thought that as a news organisation, to have a goal of not only informing people, but also giving them a way to be part of a community, was like really, really important if you're local.
0: Here to tell us more about what they have called the Watchdog Workshops is Ashley Woods Branch, founder of Detour Detroit. Just to bring you up to speed, the situation in Detroit is this. Local residents have been losing their homes when they can't pay the tax on the property. Those foreclosed homes then get bought out at auction by bidders from around the world. We're talking 145,000 properties sold at auction by the county over the last 15 years. Ashley tells us this started out as a good idea to get rid of unsafe properties, but those homes have remained abandoned. So to dig a little bit deeper, what Ashley has done with the help of Outlier Media is create these watchdog workshops where they trained local residents to trawl through all the documents and vet those buyers. Now they are set to publish their findings thanks to them. So let's say I came along to one of these workshops, what would I expect to find?
1: We usually hold them to feel very like low-key and accessible, whether you've got a computer or not, whether you've ever done this before, or maybe you're a master's candidate. Um, we get all kinds. And then we always have, between Detour and Outlier, a team of eight or 10 roving editors or workers to come You know, to each person. So you can just kind of raise your hand and after we've all gone through everything together, a roving person will sit down with you and help you where you have problems, get you through the system. And then we kind of go through those records together. We talk about it. We talk about why it matters and you know, what the impact is. So it's a little bit like work, but you know, as you know, Jacob, like, doing work with other people is way more fun than sitting there and doing it by yourself.
0: So you're in your initial phase now, turning up on the day, what sort of things did you get participants to do exactly?
1: We would assign them you know the name of an LLC um, or an, or a registered agent or a person who was bidding on multiple homes in the auction and then we taught them how to search through all of Michigan's different digital licensing agencies to find information on them. A lot of times they have people bidding on them that are really no connection at all. As we started like getting the information and digging down on these people, we realized you know first off, a lot of people. They had different agents bidding on things because they were bidding on way more houses than we realized, right? So it helped us do that. We also found that a lot of the people who were bidding on the auction, they had lost houses that they had previously won in previous houses, um, in previous auctions, for not paying the taxes. So these people should have been, by the auction zone rules, they should have been banned from ever bidding on houses in the auction again, yet they were doing it because no one but us is actually doing this work you know so finding some of those speculators who really are are, are bad stewards um you know of homes in neighborhoods and and saying hey these people never should have been allowed to be in the auction in the first place and they might have been taking the home of somebody who didn't deserve to lose their home in foreclosure you know, I mean, that's a really important thing. It's crazy that we're a ragtag team of, I mean, between the two organizations, there's maybe eight of us, right? Like, <laughs> we've got very little, you know, funding and we're startups, but this kind of work is really crucial and important. It's not, you know, it's not clickbait, but this is the stuff that changes policy, hopefully.
0: But I sense that's quite a complex, complex thing. How did you get people who are potentially amateurs and first-time investigators uh, to a position where they can identify those sort of trends? uh, What really goes into that learning process?
1: So I think that for a lot of our readers, because we've written about the tax auction so many times and we've done it in interview form and Q&A and kind of what you need to know, but it's like our readers actually you know, now, a year in, have a more sophisticated understanding of the tax auction than, you know, the average person you'd find on the street because we've hit at it a dozen times over the last year in ways that are like really accessible. We had printed out some documents, you know, for them. We went through everything as a group for the first 20 minutes, answered questions, kind of gave them an overview, told them why their part mattered and and what they were doing. And that was really enough for people. And like, I was, you know, a a little bit surprised because it it seems very dense, Um, but people, you know, When you actually live in Detroit, it's something that we all see in our daily lives. So it's a lot easier to understand when it's happening around you.
0: So local importance, is that step one, as it were, with these workshops, the context and seeing it in real life firsthand?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think context is everything. Um, You know, if I I were just having a, a beer with you in the bar, like... You know, and I, I started talking about this wonky tax foreclosure auction thing. I mean, I would totally understand if your eyes glazed over, right? You know, what was really cool um, in the workshop is people started searching for homes that were in their neighborhoods, right? And they were looking for homes in their neighborhoods that had gone in the auction and then trying to figure out who had bought them. And they were texting their friends saying, hey! this speculator bought a house on your street, right? And, and that's the, I think the true connection is when you start to see it become personal and people also be able to say, hey, now I, have, I actually have the skills. I can do this anytime something happens on my street, right? Like now I know how to do it or I can help somebody do it.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm so curious how you go from a clean slate to combing through in fine detail effectively. What is the secret to upskilling local citizens in this way, do you think?
1: We had people who were not very computer savvy, and in those cases, we paired them up with someone who knew a little more of what they were doing. And and that kind of working together of maybe a 60-year-old resident working with a 23-year-old college uh, student, that's a really cool thing, too. And, And creating connections between people that wouldn't normally have an opportunity to work together, I think, is really important. So even though we had great people working the event and serving as kind of guides and experts, I think that... The way that people just kind of paired up and helped each other was really crucial.
0: Now, what I would find interesting to know is if they, the local residents, provided any insight and approaches that was missed off or overlooked by the pros in the room.
1: Outlier had uh, drafted their kind of step-by-step instructions for finding the identities behind these companies. And it was different Michigan regulatory websites and stuff, very, very much on the up and up. But we saw people start to take that and then using kind of these other social platforms to get more information too. And they just kept snowballing. Um, So it was really cool seeing people say, oh, okay, I understand what we're doing. I understand the sleuthing thing. I have some places where I can look for people too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because then what they're doing is taking that know-how and applying that knowledge to something that makes sense to them. What do they find most hard or most challenging about this experience that you find, Ashley?
1: If you think about it, it's, it's really difficult. Like we had a Google spreadsheet and it had all of these different buyers on it. And when people came in, we'd give them a list of buyers, we'd email it to them and then they'd have to like go through and start figuring it out on their own. Like, I mean, it was in terms of like the data that we were passing on to people and kind of giving them, I think at the beginning it was overwhelming. I think if we do it again, we'll make it more smooth. We'll figure out a a better way to just kind of get people started and maybe create some sort of collaborative document so that everybody isn't working on something that's kind of completely siloed.
0: And I suppose with any form of citizen journalism, the concern or perhaps the criticism is whether the professional standards of investigative journalism are being met or maintained. What did you think about that going in, Ashley, and how did you perhaps overcome that on the day so that you knew what you were producing was solid evidence and solid findings?
1: When people found you know, their data on, on the buyers and looked at you know, their previous auction records and things like that, we had everybody enter that work into spreadsheets. And then you know, when I say there was a, a lapse in between the workshop and publication time, It's because Outlier's team of reporters really diligently went through all those records and double-checked them. I'm a journalist. I make mistakes all the time. If I didn't have an editor to catch my mistakes, I I would get a correction every day. We just understand that our citizens are similar to us and that everybody needs an editor and everybody needs checking. So kind of building in the time for that fact-checking and knowing that it was going to happen and not rushing the publication process, I think is crucial. We would devalue the entire experience if we rush to publish this within four weeks and then there were a bunch of errors in it and then everybody would feel like the hard work wasn't valued or, you know, that it didn't mean anything. So for anybody who's doing this, if they're listening, you know, it's crucial to just take as much time as you can, you know, make sure to get it right um, because then when your supporters who are there or the supporters who who pay to be members, when they see the fruits of your labor, and they see that it was correct and that it stands and that they've actually done something to make their community better. I mean, you can't replace that feeling.
0: I suppose the other thing that comes to mind is how you get residents through the door in the in the first place. You mentioned the importance of local news where you are in Detroit. Uh, I was wondering if there are any other effective strategies to you know, motivating and mobilizing your readers on your doorstep to get involved in projects like this.
1: The event wasn't the first time that we had met A lot of our participants, whenever somebody writes into detour with a comment, one of us always responds, you know, immediately because it's about that relationship and that communication. And if your event isn't the first time that you've ever invited your readers to be part of the process, or it's not the first time you've ever sought them out, the chance that they'll show up in in some ways, even just to hang out for an hour is, you know, is a lot higher, you know? So I think like making sure that it's part of a strategy of building a relationship rather than just a one-off is crucial. Also, you know, the other important thing is find partners. You know, I, I think in journalism for so long, because we were trying to stay independent of everything, that we really stopped working with and leveraging relationships with community partners. We were lucky because there's a great group in Detroit that does a lot of work around tax foreclosure and the auction. You know, we had them publicize it. Some of their team came out and worked with us. And we appeal to their kind of wonky group of people who, you know, is really obsessed with this issue. If you're working in partnership with community members who have already been there, you're asking their opinions, you're making sure their feedback is incorporated in the work that you're doing, then the chance of you having 50 people show up to this is much higher. I think the other thing that we'll do too is we'll give ourselves more time to really promote the event and help people understand why they'll be there and to make more community partners than we did. I think that the partnerships we had helped us get 50 people there, but I think we could at least easily get 100 if we had you know, given ourselves another two or three weeks to really kind of leverage those people in the community um, who are doing the work as well.
0: So all in all, as a closing top line question from me, I'm wondering, is the aim of the Watchdog workshops more about bringing people into the fold, the news production process who would otherwise not be Or is it more about strengthening the workflow and being able to conduct an investigation at a level and depth that would not otherwise be possible in this time frame?
1: I don't think strengthening the workflow is the is the key idea because it's hard. Um, You know, and, and while it may be hard to get reporters to work on analyzing that amount of data, it's also really hard to manage an event and to do all the promotion and to find the money for it. to find the partners there would be easier ways to do it if all we wanted to do was get a story done we have a lot of relationships in place with uh, media partners around the state who kind of act as reporting and publishing partners so if all we wanted to do um, was pick out some names and investigate them and run a story we would have done that months ago but then we wouldn't be doing anything differently then it wouldn't have anything to do with building our relationship with local readers and demonstrating why we matter um, and not just saying that we're for the community, but really doing things with the community together. We believe, like, this is what local journalism, you know, in some form should really look like. And we're willing, I guess, to do the work now to try and create a model um, that other people can adopt.
0: And is that time investment quite strenuous on you?
1: It's It's really hard. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, you know, I'm a mom. I'm a consultant in my full-time life. And I'm also a you know publisher in my nights and weekends, but you know it it's a wonderful adventure. So you know the time the time is hard and juggling everything is hard, but it's really great to not be doing it alone. There's no way I could do it alone.
0: Ashley, thanks ever so much for speaking to me today and um, some brilliant insights there, and uh, thanks to our listeners at home or in the commute for tuning. In Before I leave you, just a quick heads up that our News Rewired conference takes place on the 27th of November at Reuters in London, and we'd love to see you there. We've got some great panels lined up on growing your audience beyond subscribers and plenty more new ones just announced. Head over to newsrewired.com for the full agenda and tickets last. But of course not least, if you'd like to be featured on one of our podcasts, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Journalism News. Go ahead and DM the page. But that's all from me this week. Until next time.